So we're in the series of sermons we've titled His Story because we believe the Bible is God's story from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. It's his story. And as J.I. Packer, the great theologian and writer says, unless you learn who God is in his story, you can't really understand scripture. We've used this year to help us understand scripture, that God is the mighty creator. Nothing is too hard for him, that he's the redeemer, the provider, the deliverer. We've learned how to worship him. He's the one who gives us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Now, in his story, God could have just said, here's who I am, and made a list of things, right? He could have done that. He is God. And he could have said, not only here's the list of who I am, but here's the list of things I want you to do. He could have made his story pretty short. But he didn't do that. He wrote his story using people like you and me, didn't he? He wanted us to see how he works in real life. He wanted us to see people like Abraham and others who had some doubts. And he wanted to show us that since he's immutable, he doesn't change. The same way he worked with Abraham is the same way he works with us, right? And so his story written on my heart, becomes my story, the story that he gives me, the great plans, Jeremiah 29, the great plans he has for me. So we started in Genesis, and we saw that God made this great promise to Abraham that he was going to bless every nation on earth. We saw that he did that through Jesus. And uh, there was, in part, a land promise, and so we saw Joshua lead the children of Israel into the land, and now Israel is, is a great nation. At first, they were ruled by judges, but they got tired of that. So he said, man, we don't, want, we don't want to be ruled by judges. These old men riding on donkeys, circuit riders coming to the different parts of Israel. We, we want a king like the other nations. Man, we want, a, we want a king living in a palace, crown on his head, riding on a chariot, flanked by, flanked by an army. That's how the other nations do it. And so God said, okay, you want to be like the other nations? Here you go. And the people chose their first king. His name was Saul. And... Um, you know why they chose him? Remember why they chose him? Head, head taller than everybody else. <laughs> That's a great way to choose a king. And Saul was a big man with a shriveled heart. He was impatient. He was imprudent. He was impulsive. He was unrepentant. And finally said, God said, enough of that. And God raised up a man after his own heart, a man named David. Last time we saw that David taught not only the nation of Israel, but us how to worship. That worship is not coming and singing songs. It's a a part of worship. But worship is demonstrating God's worth in every aspect of our life all day long. After David, there was uh, King Solomon. And and when King Solomon um, reigned in Israel, it was at at the peak of its splendor. Kings and queens from all over the world would come and have an audience with Solomon. He was the wisest man on earth. And uh, one, one, one queen, the queen of Sheba came, and she said, man, I, 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 I thought the kingdom was great. I'd heard how great this was, but it, it's, it's, it's twice as great as I ever thought. It, it was said uh, during that time in Israel that, that silver was as plentiful as stones. Think about that. But you know what we learn? It's not the economy of a nation that makes it strong, is it? Is it? 
It's what's in the heart of people. And Solomon had a divided heart. He uh, had a problem with uh, lust. And his divided heart caused the nation to be divided. And after Solomon, there was a civil war. Israel in the north, the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was Judah. Israel never had a godly king in the north. They were taken captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom had a few godly kings. They were taken captive by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And their last of their godly kings was a man I want us to take just a little time to look at today. His name was Josiah. Josiah became king when he was eight years old. He reigned for 39 years before he died in battle. When he was 16 years old, think about this, teenagers. Think about Faith's testimony today. When he was 16 years old, he got serious about following God. And when he was 20 years old, he was committed to the Lord to take action and do what God was calling him to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father, and in his twelfth year, he began to purge, think about this, he took action, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and the metal images. Now, what's interesting, his grandfather Manasseh was a king and reigned for 55 years and was responsible for setting up all the ashram poles and the metal images. His father only reigned for two years, but he had the same issue. 57 years. 57 years of an ungodly king And Josiah said, that stops here. Think about that. I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know what's gone on in your family. I don't know what your legacy is. You may say it's pretty tough. Guess what? It stops here, doesn't it? Because you have the opportunity to say, with Christ, following Christ, I can do everything that he's calling me to do. I can purge out the old idols in my life. He also said, let's take care of the temple. The temple had been in disrepair for 57 years, almost six decades. So he said, let's rebuild the temple. Let's take care of it. And it had been neglected. And so he sent people in to start doing the repair. And while they were doing the repair, guess what they found? Something they had neglected for 57 years. They found the word of God. They found the law of Moses. They found the law of God that God had given Moses. And so they brought it to Josiah, and he said, read it. I want you to read it. And when they read it, look at verse 19, chapter 34. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He said, man, we are so far from God that he tore his clothes in sorrow. It's interesting, isn't it? You can think you're walking with God until you start reading God's word. And then you say, oh, man. There's some things in there I have to deal with. There's some things I have, to, I have to take care of. He got some of his men together, and he said, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in, in Judah concerning the words that the book 
uh, of the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord in accordance to all that is written. And you hear what he says? Our fathers have not kept the word and we're reaping the consequences of that and that stops today. When Josiah was the king of Israel, 31 years, there was a spiritual renewal a spiritual renewal in the land of Israel simply because they got serious about God's word. How many of you would agree with me? We live in a strange time, time of fear, a time of confusion, a time when we really didn't even know what the truth is. But guess what? This word is truth. And spiritual renewal is only going to take place when it first takes place in our life, and it will first take place in our life when we are reading God's Word, and not just reading it. Josiah just didn't read God's Word. He said, I'm going to take action on it, and I am going to go tear down the the obstacles, the idols, the ashram poles, all those things that are in my way. I'm not going to just be talking about it. I'm actually going to do it. You ready to quit talking and start doing? Man, that's what God's calling us to do. I'm going to invite uh, a friend of mine up, John Fowler. I'll introduce him as he comes up. Uh, John's going to help us kind of drill down on that and think about what it means to quit talking and start doing. Uh, John was our youth pastor here for seven years. It was kind of like the story we told in Egypt. You know, there were seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. That was our seven years of famine uh, with, John, with John here. I'm really here for Ron's uh, expense. He, he can make jokes at my expense. That's really why I'm here. So. John and I have always had, we have both the gift of sarcasm. And in the first service, they did not get it. They were like, oh my goodness. They're Man, not, Ron's a mean guy. They're not very nice to each other. Uh, John uh, just did a tremendous job while he was here. He and his wife, Bianca, Bianca was, was singing up here this morning. She's going to sing our last song for us. And, you know, John, uh, we worked together, uh, which was a blast, but he ministered to my kids. And uh, he led the youth group when I had our... to correct all the things. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> okay, now we're back at it. Um, it was, uh, I was going to say something nice, but I'm going to forget that. Um, John uh, left here. Uh, and went to Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, studied there, and then uh, went to Panama and worked with churches, supported pastors and churches, and more recently has, t- has taken over. Mariko died. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a couple years in there, another guy had taken over, and then John is now the director of World of Life Panama. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the relationship the church has. John took the first youth group to Panama. That's right. Uh, my kids were, two of my kids were on the trip. Yep, yep. Took the first youth group to Panama and uh, came back, and that's one of the reasons we really got involved over 2006. there. 2006. Yeah. So, um, John, you're, again, you have, you've had, you had great ministry here, great ministry in Panama. Now, let, let's talk about some of the things that, uh, talk about, so, so Josiah, he gets into the Word, mm-hmm. and we, we, we know that has to be where it starts, right? I mean... That just has to, has to be worse. If you're not in the Word, you're not going to be walking with God. It's just kind of, it's just kind of that simple. Mm-hmm. But he gets in the Word, and then he does something, right? He takes action. So I was thinking about some of the things that uh, 
or going on, and, and I know we've talked about this in Panama. Sometimes when we think about the idols, we think about um, materialism and cars and houses and all, and, and that's true, mm-hmm. careers. Mm-hmm. But right now, I think one of the idols, one of the obstacles that's keeping us back as believers mm-hmm. is fear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We live in a fearful world, mm-hmm. and that fear yeah, it just causes disgruntledness with inside and interaction with believers that shouldn't be taking place because we're in fear. So mm-hmm. talk about that. I mean, you've experienced that in Panama, in church, and with your team. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with this obstacle, this idol? Let's just call it what it is, this mm-hmm. idol of fear because it's standing in the way of really full out following hard after Christ. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> like everybody, when, when this whole pandemic thing uh, started. Everybody was afraid. Everybody, you know, was was hearing about this and seeing the effects of this. And in Panama, <clears throat> we uh, we felt the effects of of this right away. Uh, our government had one of the strictest lockdowns in Central America, maybe in Central and South America. And uh, you know, to give people an idea, um, for about seven months, um, people over eighteen and up could leave the house for only certain hours of the day. For example, men could leave on Tuesdays and Thursdays for two hours each day, and it corresponded to the last number of your passport or your ID. So for my case, I was allowed to leave the house on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8.30 to 10.30 in the morning. Had to get everything done during that time. Uh, grocery shopping, pharmacy, whatever whatever had to be done. And then uh, my wife was allowed to go out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, her, her hours were 6.30 in the morning till 8.30 in the morning, which is, of course, a great time to go shopping. Um, so, you know, obviously a lot of that fell to me. It, it was really tough. Hardest on our kids, you know. I mean, uh, our kids haven't been out of the house very often. Unless, these are people, by the way, guys, okay? <laughs> these are human. Um, so it, it was hard. It was hard on them because the, the, the quarantine was difficult. Anyone uh, under 18 years of age wasn't allowed to leave the house. Um, if you did get caught out on off hours and the police were, uh, found you, you would be fined or you'd be incarcerated. Uh, and, and they published those numbers every night on the news, who had been thrown in jail for violating the, the, the rules. So we were terrified. I mean, we were scared just because of, you know, like we'd see police and it would make us scared because we didn't know if they were going to do something or say something or whatever. So it made our family pull together, you know. Fear has this, this effect where it paralyzes us. And it makes us, you know, um, unable to function, you know. And um, I think that's, that's how we were feeling in our family. Uh, it was depressing. It was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was hard. And then also on our team. In fact, because of these lockdowns, we were cut off from half of our team. I live about an hour and 15 minutes outside of Panama City. Half of our team lives within five minutes of me. The other half lives in Panama City. And so... 20, 22 people, so no small, right, no small group. Right, so... And, and I... <laughs> couldn't get to the other half of the team because they had two police checkpoints. You could not pass unless you had documentation. So for almost um, the better half of a year, we, we didn't have contact with that part of the team except for through technology. It's hard. There's a passage in Isaiah. I was, uh, we did a memorial service here for Gabe Luba, a long time, Martha and Gabe, a long time uh, members of our church. And uh, Martha said every night she would read this, uh, they would read this passage together just to remind them of God's strength in the midst of fear. So in Isaiah chapter 41, 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then 
Isaiah kind of repeats that in verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. That's a cool picture, isn't it? God holds our right hand when we're fearful. Mm-hmm. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Mm-hmm. And John, you know, I was just thinking, man, um, as believers, we have fear, but as believers, God is with us. Mm-hmm. And we need, to, we need to demonstrate to a watching world mm-hmm. that we're, we're going to be smart, mm-hmm. but we're also going to trust in the Lord and not let our fears overtake us. In fact, you were saying this is the first time you've been in church. First time we've been in church, in an actual church setting for almost 10 months. It's amazing. Yeah, because in Panama, we can't meet, so... John, we've also seen here, and you can, you can say uh, if this is in Panama as well, even among believers, there's this, there's this confusion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What's real and what's not real? Mm-hmm. What do I believe and what I, don't I believe? Mm-hmm. And not talking about God's word. God's word is truth. We believe that. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's, you know, this thing's worked out in real life, right? So... Uh, we talked about that, you know, God writes his story in the life of people. And so we get to the New Testament, <clears throat> and there were believers who knew God's word. They knew that about Jesus and him being the only way. And they had the doctrine right, but then there are these gray areas, like eating meat offered to idol or not eating meat offered an idol. Mm-hmm. Mask or no mask. And we had a set, our, our staff, we had a seven-hour meeting this week mm-hmm. after the mandates came out. Mm-hmm. How are we going to respond to that? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do? We're exempt as a church, but we've got to be smart. What do we do legally? Mm-hmm. What do we, we want to care for everyone here, right? We know COVID's a real thing. Mm-hmm. I, my, my son, Garrison, just had it this past week. We know it's real. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets confusing. Mm-hmm. So talk about, talk about confusion in the life of a believer. And then, and then practically, how does, that, how does that thing work out yeah. in real life? Yeah, right. Right now, I mean, just just like here in Panama too, there, there's a lot of noise. You know, I mean, some people call this the age of information. You know, this I feel like it's the, also the age of misinformation. You don't know who to trust, what to trust, what source is real, and I mean that just takes me back to God's word because I know for a fact that we can trust God's word. This is the source of truth, and so we we go back to Scripture to to find the reliable thing that we know we can count on, and start from there. Um, it's, uh, there's a lot of currents in the culture right now pulling people, like politically and, and like you said with this thing here. It's sad to me uh, uh, that, that you're seeing division over a stupid piece of fabric like this. I mean, really, isn't that all that is? And, and I hate this thing. I can't breathe when I put this stupid thing on. I don't know how many people like it, um, but I hate this thing. But you know what? I love you. I love Christians. I'm so excited to be here and have a chance to be in the church. I'll put this stupid thing on. You know what I mean? As I could care less about this, I'm more excited to be here among believers. And, and these stupid things are distractions that, that the enemy will use to divide. I, I've heard of churches who have, have lost leaders because the leaders couldn't agree on, on what policy they were going to have on this piece of fabric. Wow. I thought we were stronger than that as a church. You know? I mean, that's heartbreaking. That, that this could be what, what creates division? Come on. You know, right now in the world, we as Christians, we need each other. I need you. You need me. Well, I don't know if you need Ron, but you know what I mean. You know, we, we need each other. We need each other. We can't, we can't miss out on this because of this, you know. 
And so, I, 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 you know, for me, these, these little fears and, and these, we can't let that stuff suck us down. We have to rise above that. We have to remember that, you know, if Jesus were here, you know, he, he wouldn't be Republican or Democrat. He wouldn't wear a mask or drop a mask. He, Jesus is Jesus, and, and we're citizens of heaven, and we get to fly above all that, you know? I would rather us focus on what brings us together, which is Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us on the cross. Amen? I mean, come on, that, that's where it's at. And if we miss that, we're going to miss our chance as a church in a moment that's critical for the world right now. The world needs believers to be the light and to be the salt. Okay, I could keep going. I'm going to stop, though. All right, okay. finally. Okay. Good. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Sorry. It was good. It was good. That was your first mistake. You encouraged me. <laughs> um, so I'm going to set this up uh, for you. Um, I gave you, uh, I gave you uh, three minutes Saturday. Last night you took seven. Okay. Uh, I gave you four minutes today. You took eight. Ron, you're my leader. I've learned. So from I'm going to give you. I'm going to give yeah. you. I'm going to give you more time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me set it up. So the world's the world's watching, mm-hmm. and if we're just as divided as people at work and people at school and the medical community. The world says, great. Mm-hmm. They can't offer me anything. But if we can be united mm-hmm. on the message of Jesus and how Jesus transforms life, as you say, I'll wear a mask, I'll wear a mask anywhere mm-hmm. to tell Jesus, tell, tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here. He transforms lives. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9 says this, if I say... I will not mention him or speak any more of his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah says, the message of Jesus is too important. I, I can't not share it. Mm-hmm. John, sometimes we think about, you know, a couple things we can do with with. Uh, our global workers, we can certainly pray, and we have a great global prayer group that's meeting with Zoom. We can shoot this up, biblechapel.org slash international. You can go there and, and get in a Zoom group to be praying for our missionaries. I think, in fact, your group, I think it's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can get all the information. All you got to do is go to that, biblechapel.org slash international, and, uh, and uh, you can get signed up for that. But, man, we can also share the message of Christ. And you don't have to go overseas to do that. Mm-hmm. God has called you to do that, mm-hmm. but you don't have to go overseas. So talk about, talk about not just having to go across the ocean, but man, just challenge us to go across the street mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and share the message of Christ because there's a message that we cannot keep inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, um, I'll just share this one thing. I feel like we need to remember the equipment that we have as believers to kind of cut through things, you know, and um, the Word of God is, is like that laser beam that helps us to, to cut through that stuff. I was going to share this earlier. Um, this is Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3, and this is my encouragement uh, to start off with. Is, uh, the writer says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and I think that's so important for us as Christians to remember where our eyes need to be placed right now because there's so many distractions and there's so much noise. We just need to peel away that stuff and just focus on one thing. It's Jesus Christ. 
Don't listen to the other stuff. Don't get sucked down. Don't get pulled away. Don't get distracted. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's, that is the, the square one we're, we're starting with. Jesus Christ. From him I get my purpose. From him I get my, 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 my being, my calling. Everything comes from that. You know, um, and some of you might be seeing, they're thinking, you know what, well, you know, Ron's up there and, and he's, a, he's a professional Christian. He's a pastor and John's a missionary. He's a professional Christian. Let me just dispel that right now. The concept of professional Christians does not exist, okay? We're all Christians. We're all in this together, okay? We all need each other. We all need everybody on this team, all right? God's team. And, and the key is faithfulness. So some people might go, well, I, I don't know if I have the courage to, to go be a pastor somewhere or go be a missionary. But, but like Ron said, the idea, if we're keeping our focus, the idea isn't that you focus on taking these giant steps. You just focus on being faithful where you are right now, right where you are. My favorite story on this to illustrate this is, is, this, is the story of David. You know, when he was going to go face Goliath, you know, before that point, nobody really knew who David was. He's like this little shepherd boy, right? And then all of a sudden, this, this big battle is, is happening, and David shows up on the scene, and he sees this giant, and he, he refuses to allow this giant to, to uh, confront the armies of God and confront the living God, and he does something about it. He takes action, and he says, this giant, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like the lions and the bears. And in that verse, we see that God had been preparing David with little acts of faithfulness all along to be ready for the moment of big faithfulness. And so the challenge for all of us as Christians, while we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, is to be faithful right where we are. What is God calling you to do? What is God calling you? Maybe some of us need to get over this thing, right? Maybe that's my sacrifice. You know, like it said here, if you keep going, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. If Jesus can go through the cross, this is not a big sacrifice, okay? Not to me. Jesus went through the cross for us. He loved us. He loves us. And so our, we need to be faithful right where we are. Maybe your, your, your act of faithfulness is talking to someone this Thanksgiving or this Christmas about the love of Jesus Christ because the world right now needs hope. The world right now needs love. And they need to hear about that from Christians. We have that message. Let's not forget who we are. Or maybe it's your coworkers, or maybe it's just your children. I don't know what your step of faithfulness is, but my encouragement to everybody here, be faithful right where you are. Because when the moment comes, when God taps you on the shoulder and he wants you to make a big step, you'll be ready. Because it'll be just like the lions and bears. And all he needs us to say is that I'll be available. I'll be ready. Here I am. I may not have much, but you can have these two hands. I may not have much, but you can have this, this body. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm available. I'd like to pray for the church. Could I do that? Bianca's going to come out in uh, just a second and, and lead us in a song. The title of it is Available. And I want you to listen to the words of the song. Here I am. I say yes. Whatever you want me to do. I don't know. Like John said, I don't know what it is God wants you to do. But Heavenly. he wants you to be available. And do what he is calling you in your home, in your work, in your school, in your neighborhood. Being available to do what he's calling you to do. John, pray for us, will you? Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. And I thank you for the joy and the privilege of being able to be here in person, in the church. It feels so good, Lord. And uh, to be around my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Father, we thank you for your word that just cuts through the smoke. It cuts through the noise. It helps us to remember who we are and why we're here so clearly. And just like Peter, when he lost his focus on you, began to sink, we know we cannot afford to lose our focus. We need to fix our eyes right on you because you're going to call us to do things. And we want to be available. We want to be faithful. And so, Lord, I just put this church in your hands. I pray, God, for their protection because I know there's fear and I know there's confusion. I know there's all those thoughts, but we don't want to be paralyzed by that fear. We want to be propelled by our faith. So I pray for this church. I pray, God, that you would bless them, protect them, keep them safe. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would build this church up, that you would call your saints together to be the force that you want them to be right here and around the world. The things that they're doing in Pittsburgh are radiating out. We feel it in Panama. I know that they feel it in, in Africa. I know they feel it in Thailand. I know they feel it in various places, Lord. The, the obedience of believers here is radiating out. And we thank you for that, Father. We pray that it would only be multiplied. Just like the fish and loaves, when it crossed the hands of Jesus, you multiplied those things, Lord. We don't have much to bring, but we pray that whatever we have, when it touches your hands, you multiply it, God. So I pray for this church. I pray, God, that you'd bless, protect, and move us to be available and be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.